0: You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Again, like Pastor Brian said, I just... I just got back from camp with 11 of our students, two of our leaders. My wife Shelby was there for a couple nights. Whitney Smith, who is an incredibly dedicated youth leader that we have, was with us. Um, and so I, I am going to be a little extra excited, a little bit more energetic, which if you've been here and I've preached before, you might think, oh, that's hard to believe. But I promise you, I feel it right now. It might not sound like I feel it, but I feel it right now. Because let me, I want to tell you guys, I want to testify some things that happened in camp We had a seventh grader. He's an incoming seventh grader. We had a seventh grader, and this this student's parent came up to me Friday night and was like, "Pastor Jacob, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you what happened." I I said, "Go ahead, share with me," because we spent as much time as we could talking about what God was doing. But most of the time, by the end of the day, our kids were wiped, and so they're like, "We're ready to go to bed, physically, spiritually, emotionally." I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna respect that. It's gonna be a long week, but..." This parent came up to me, and the parent said, I, I passed, my, I passed my, my child in the kitchen, and they, they were saying something, and I thought they were talking to me. The, the parent was like, I didn't understand what they were saying. And so I go, what did you just say? And the, the kid looks up at his, at his dad, and he's like, oh, dad, I was just speaking in tongues. <laughs> and the dad goes, what? Like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was at the altars during youth camp, and somebody prayed for me, and I started feeling funny, on the inside. And I started hearing these things in my head and they had talked about speaking in tongues. So he was like, I just gave it a shot. And the dad told me for the rest of the day, he could see his son just speaking in tongues. He was just doing everyday things. And I want to encourage you guys, if you have your prayer language, it doesn't have to be in the church that you use it. It doesn't have to be during your quiet time that you use it. Use your prayer language driving to work. Why? Because even though you don't understand what you're saying, God is hearing, God is understanding, and it is the Holy Spirit partnering with you doing what you're doing. And that was a seventh grader who understood that. Like, how incredible is what God did? We had, we had another student who came, up to, who came up to Shelby after service, and, and she was like, I just had an out-of-body experience. And she was like, no, you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, and this particular student, they had pre-service prayer, and she was, she was sitting down in her chair during pre-service prayer, and she was just sitting there, and she, she, has, she has some things that she's walking through. She has some things that she's struggling with, and she was sitting there. And Whitney, who I said, she was the MVP of our leadership at camp. If you don't know Whitney Smith, find her. Thank her for everything she did, but she was sitting the row behind this student, and she, she just she felt like God, the Holy Spirit told her, I want you to write this down. And I want you to give it to this student. Whitney said, okay. She wrote whatever it is the Holy Spirit put down on her heart, passes it to the student, and Shelby walks up and sees, sees this student just looking down at her lap on the paper that's right there. And Shelby goes, what's going on? Like, are you okay? And she goes, Whitney just gave this to me, said God told her to give it to me. And Shelby goes, well, how do you feel about that? And she goes, well, I was just sitting here And I told God, All I want to know is that you're listening to me. And because of her genuine request to God, the Holy Spirit spoke to Whitney to affirm the faith that she was going after. And that same Holy Spirit that we encountered at camp is the same Holy Spirit that's in this room with us right now. So, what I want to ask you guys to do is invest in what the Holy Spirit wants to do, don't invest in my words. Because it, it, these aren't my words that's coming out. These are, these are the things that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us this morning. Again, just like the worship team, I'm just a vessel. So my challenge to you guys is be invested in what we're talking about this morning, put to action what we're talking about this morning. And so what I like to do to assist with that, anytime I speak anywhere, I, I like to have you guys repeat three simple things. So if you will repeat, repeat these things after me, I expect I, accept. I, receive, I receive. I do. And the reason I like to do that is because what it does is it jumpstarts our faith. And when we come to God with expectation, God meets us with his reality, and his reality always surpasses our expectation. So if your expectation is here, God's reality is through the ceiling. And if we come to God with an expectation here, he'll meet us there, and he might come up here. But what would happen if we set our expectations up high? And we say, God, I'm going to receive something from you today. And when we receive from God, he always provides action with what he gives to us. And that's why I want us to not just be hearers of the word, like it says in James. I want us to be participants, doers of the word. And you guys remember the, the, the campaign Got Milk? Anybody? I might be, might be aging myself. If you ask any of our youth students, they think I'm like in my 40s. And it is a really, really, really big, like, pride check. I was talking to them about Simone Biles. I was talking to them about the heart of a champion. And I had mentioned to them Simone Biles is the most decorated gymnast in history. Not just women's gymnastics, not just American gymnastics, but the most decorated gymnast in history. And I told them, and she's the same age as me. I go, she's 26 years old. And they go, you're not 26? Like, you would have thought I had just told them Moses took all the animals on the ark. Okay, some of you guys caught that, but but I, I've never felt so aged. Like you, you would have thought I was speaking blasphemy, telling them I was 26. And then when they found out Shelby was older than me, you're like I mean, it it pretty much derailed the rest of the message. But so the Got Milk campaign it was all about encouraging people, especially younger ones, especially kids, to drink more milk. I remember walking into my middle school cafeteria, seeing this ginormous banner of Michael Jordan in his USA, uh, Team USA outfit, and he had a nice big milk mustache. And then it's just, all it said was, got milk. And the purpose of this campaign, again, is to encourage us to take in something that's necessary, Take in something that's needed for our bodies to grow, that's needed for our bones to be strong. And so in in comparison with that, the title of today's message is Got Faith. Because just like way back then, the whole campaign started because students needed to drink more milk. Today, I believe God has titled the message Got Faith because as a people, we need more faith. Even if, even if you're someone who would say, my, my faith meter is way up here, amazing. You can use more. Because where you come to meet God, he meets you there. And so I love to give Jacob definition to things. And so are these completely accurate definitions? No. Are they biblically sound? Yes. Are they literally sound? Most of the time, if you ask Shelby, she'll say no. But I like, I think it's easy to compare the words trust and, faith. and a lot of times they become synonymous, but I think, I think they're actually very different. And so my Jacob definition for the word trust is, I believe God can do blank. If you have trust in God, you believe God can do anything. I believe God can meet me where I am. I believe God can heal the sick. I believe God can speak to me. Amazing. You have a great trust in God. But what faith says is, I believe God can do blank and then some. Faith doesn't just say, I believe God can heal me. But faith says, I believe God can heal me and all my children after me. Faith doesn't just say, I believe God can take my depression away. But faith says, I believe God can bring me joy and make me a vessel of joy to others. Faith doesn't limit God right here, but faith has no cap. Faith doesn't put God in a box, but faith welcomes God to do the more. Faith welcomes God to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. That's the difference between trust and faith. And if I'm being honest with you guys, it's a lot easier to have that trust in God. It's a lot more difficult to have faith. And we can have all the trust in the world in God, but still have little faith. Because we're putting a cap, we're putting a limit on God. Who are we to limit the creator of the universe? Who are we to put a cap on our faith to the God who measures all the waters in the cup of his hand, who stretches the heavens back like a curtain? Who are we? I want to challenge you guys. Don't put your trust in God. Put your faith in God. Faith encompasses trust. Don't stick to just trust. Put your faith in God. Where faith is placed, faith is fulfilled every single time. In 2 Kings chapter 13 Verse 14 through 19, it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot. Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Aramians at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times, And stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. It's easy to trust the word of God, it's a lot more difficult to put our faith in the word of God. But when we put our faith in the word of God, there's no limit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. Not some of this. Not accomplish what you feel like you deserve. All of this. What are you bringing to God? What are you carrying to God? He can accomplish all of it. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. That word request requires action. A request is something made, something presented. Ask God for it, and he will achieve infinitely more than what you're asking. Your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. We need to stop putting a cap on the power of God in our life. God wants to be up here, and we're saying, God, I believe, I believe you for right here. God wants to take us up here. God wants to bring your calling. God wants to take you to this profession, but we only believe God for this easy, simple profession because we're afraid to take a step of faith. But if God is calling you to it, he will see you through it. But if we put a cap here, this is as far as we're going to come. God's not going to force us anywhere. Where do you put your faith? He's going to honor that. So if you bring it up higher, he's going to honor. If you set it down lower, he's going to honor it. But we're the ones missing out. Infinitely more than your greatest request. Bring it to God. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You want what you don't have so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. We start to play the comparison game. Well, God, if I only had that kind of influence, well, then I can make a difference. But you didn't ask for that kind of influence. That person did. Well, God, if I only had the voice that the worship team has, you didn't ask for that. God is going to give you the anointing and the blessing and the favor for what you've asked him for. So if you want more, ask God for more. You have not because you haven't asked God for it. Jesus said in Matthew 7:7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But the reason we don't do these things is because we simply trust God. If we put our faith in God, then we'd start to ask for these things. If we put our faith in God, then we would ask God for more. If we put our faith in God, then we would increase our expectation. If we put our faith in God, then we would believe that he would make us a vessel for peace, not a vessel for anxiety, because we're believing God to do more than just heal us. We're believing God to do more than just to calm us on a Sunday morning so we can go and do whatever we want, Monday through Saturday, and then repeat that cycle. God wants more for us, but we're not ready to ask him for it. We trust God to make us feel better about everything we did in the last week. But we don't put our faith in God to trust that he'll make us feel better and then help change our mindset, shift our way of thinking so that we don't have to continue the cycle of, dang, God, I'm sorry I messed up again. Can Can you erase the board again? Can you do that for me real quick? Is he good and gracious to do it? Absolutely. But he shouldn't have to. When we put our faith in God, we expect, we believe and trust that God will take us beyond our struggle. We don't have to live from spiritual paycheck to spiritual paycheck, but we can live in abundance, infinitely more than your greatest request, than your wildest dream, than your biggest imagination. If we put our faith in God, what I believe is the biggest thief of faith is anxiety. Look to your neighbors say anxiety, and so a lot of times we might think anxiety like oh, if i don 't have anxiety attacks i don't struggle with anxiety. But another Jacob definition for you guys anxiety is the fear of losing control. so if you're somebody who you're like, uh, I want to make sure my hands are on the wheel, you might you might struggle a little bit with anxiety, which that's not a bad thing. Why? Because we serve a God who gives peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace where it doesn't make sense to have peace. So if you struggle with anxiety, I'm here to tell you that's normal. That's okay, but it does not have to be your normal. If you put your faith in God to believe for freedom and then some. Freedom, and now from generation to generation, they'll walk in peace. From generation to generation, they'll take their hands off and say, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my greatest request and my wildest dreams that's what peace does and the reason why it's so hard to have faith is because the devil makes us scared to lose control when we're feeling anxious when we're feeling out of control we like to take the wheel back from God I remember when I was living in Florida and I was a youth leader with our youth group, we went to this place called Sky Zone. They're all across the country, so you guys might have been there. You might have, you might have heard of one, but what it is is it's a trampoline park, which if you know students, give them pizza, give them somewhere to get all their energy out, they'll be there. And so they loved Sky Zone. We took our students every summer, every spring break, as much as we could because in summertime, you don't go outside in Florida. You go outside in the wintertime. I know you all aren't used to that. Alright, I'm still getting adjusted. I saw the high is going to be 77 this week. I'm not okay with that. I want to sweat in the summer, All right, But, that's besides the point. So we took them to Sky Zone. And now, Sky Zone also had different things for kids who didn't want to go on trampolines. And they had this giant rock wall. This thing was 15 feet in the air. Probably 50, if my memory serves me right. uh, But at least 15. Maybe 50. Definitely 15. And... The students were like, Jacob, you got to go on this. Jacob, you should do this. And I am terrified of heights. Me and Pastor Brian were trying to set some lights up in our new student center. And I'm like shivering on the ladder. He's like, dude, you good? I'm like, no, I'm not. But we're going to do this. It's for the Lord. And so so they're like, Jacob, you got to go up on this thing. I said, man, I am not getting up on this thing. But then we get 15 of our students, they're like, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. And, like, if you know me, I'm always up for a challenge. You tell me I can't do something. Matt Logman always tells me, dude, you can't beat me in pickleball. I beat him every single time. (laughs) I was going to say something about Pastor Brian, but uh, he signs my paycheck. So so we're at Sky Zone. They start changing my name. I'm like, now I have to do it. So I jump in there. And, you know, just like they do on a rock wall, you got to wear this Underwear harness is what I call it. You, just, you step in there and it's super uncomfortable. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty thick dude. I got thick thighs. They save lives. And they tried, so they buckled it around me. And I'm like, you struggled a little bit to put that buckle on. They're like, you're okay, you're okay. I'm like, all right. So they connect me in and I start going. And I'm actually pretty good at rock walls. It used to be my favorite thing when I was a kid. So I'd climb up there. I'd get to the top and literally as I reach to push the button, I hear a click and I look down, and the harness around my right leg is dangling down by my feet. I am now only hooked in by my left leg. I'm like, sweet Jesus, this is where it ends. And all the students, you could tell they, they stopped chanting. They got silent. They're like, oh, And so I'm up, I'm like, literally, I'm like hanging on just by my fingertips. And the lady down below, she's like, just jump down. You'll be fine. I'm like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Like, I won't be fine. And she goes, I promise you're still hooked in. You'll be fine. I'm like, no, I'm going to die. I literally told her, you come up here and jump down. And in retrospect, looking back, logically, I knew I was still harnessed in. It's not like if I jump down, I'm going to flip upside down, slip out of this thing and fall, because I'm still latched in on my left side. I might fall a little crooked, but I'm still going to fall straight, and I have this thing holding me that's just going to have me drop slowly. Logically, I knew that. Emotionally, I felt out of control. Emotionally, I felt like I was going to die a most certain death doing what I used to love as a child. And a lot of times we get in those same, same positions spiritually where God is telling us, go for more. Jump. And God says, I will catch you. The Bible says that he catches every tear that falls from your eye. Not one of them is missed. He says, just fall back in my arms. I'm here to catch you. Just take that next step. I'm here to guide you. Just pray that prayer. I'm here to answer it but we, we start to get anxious. We start to feel like we're out of control. And so we don't make that request. We don't make that jump. We don't take that step because we don't want to let go of control. I believe in, in the book of Matthew, that's why Peter fell down into the water. This he was literally walking on water towards Jesus. But it was the moment that he looked around and realized, I don't control this. I don't control the winds and the waves. I don't control the the hurricane that's blowing around me. And that's when he lost his faith and began to fall. Because he took his eyes off of the giver of faith and put them on what was happening around us. When I was on the top of that rock wall, I took my eyes off of the lady who knew exactly what I needed to do. She'd been trained. She had every single qualification she needed to help me get down but I wasn't concerned about that because I was terrified for my life. Some of you guys came in this morning, you're terrified for your spiritual relationship with God. You're terrified for your life. You're scared to pray. You're scared to open up the word because you don't know how to feel. You don't know how to digest it. You don't know if you feel like you deserve it or if you're worthy to be able to open up the Bible and hear from God. Can I tell you right now, you are. He made you worthy. On your own, you're not. Our cleanest days are like filthy rags compared to God, but that's what grace is for. He calls you worthy. He makes you deserving to hear his voice and to experience his freedom. Don't let anxiety rob you of the faith that God wants to give you. Don't let anxiety put a cap on what God wants to do in your life. When we lose sight of peace, it makes having faith all the more difficult. When things happen in our life that make us doubt if God is even there, it makes having faith all the more difficult. And the devil knows that. John 10.10 says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy your faith by robbing you of peace. So I have three simple points this morning. How can we strengthen our faith when our peace is shaken? Because here's what I know is just because your peace is shaken doesn't mean it's impossible to have faith it means that we have to work all the harder. It's like it's like having this moment, like I've had a lot of cycles where I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get in shape. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get ripped. And I start to work out, but then I don't change the way I eat. Or I change the way I eat, but then I don't exercise. So it, when, when our peace is shaken, when our peace is robbed, it makes having faith all the more difficult. The two need to work together together. So when our peace is lacking, how can we strengthen our faith? When our faith is lacking, how can we strengthen our peace? Because when both are high, now we're functioning how God has created us to function. So how can we strengthen our peace, or how can we strengthen our faith when peace is shaken? Number one, remind yourself about what God has done. Peter, when he was walking on water, forgot that God literally put him on the water. He forgot that Jesus called him out. It's almost like he, for, he, he like blanked on the last five seconds when he was walking on the water because he took his eyes off of what Jesus had done. So how can you strengthen your faith when your peace is, is shaken? Remind yourself, what has God done in my life? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Everybody say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the the God God of Jacob. When you look through the Old Testament, Time after time after time, this is how God is referred. This is how God refers to himself when he, when he interacts, when he encounters people. Why? Because it reminds them of what God has done in the past. When God called Moses, he said, tell them the same God that was there for Abraham, the same God that was there for Isaac, the same God that was there for Jacob is a God that's here for you. So when their peace is shaken, now I'd imagine Moses' peace was probably shaken when he was called by God. He was a murderer. He was a stutterer. He didn't feel like his words carried any power. He didn't feel like anybody wanted to hear what he had to say. His peace was shaken, so his faith was down here. But God reminded him, remember what I did for Abraham? I'm going to do it for you too. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we remind ourselves of what God has done, it makes it all the more difficult for the devil to make us, uh, to, to distract us about what's happening currently around us. When we're in a constant state of remembrance and gratitude of what God has done. That's why anytime I pray, I start by thanking God. God, what have you done that I'm thankful for? And sometimes I have to just God, I thank you for creating the universe. Because sometimes it's hard to be be gracious, to be grateful. Because those times when our peace is stolen, it's hard to find something we're thankful for. Find something broad. God, thank you for the oxygen in my lungs. God, thank you that it's not snowing outside. God, thank you for your word. Make it simple. Sometimes it's hard to see the specifics when the winds and the waves are crashing around us. But don't let that stop you from remembering, from remembering what God has done. Joshua and Caleb are another great example. When God led the Israelites into the promised land, uh, Moses sent 12 spies to go scout out the promised land. 12 spies go and they, they find giant grapes, like the Bible says, that they, two people had to carry them, which is, That sounds miserable. I hate grapes to begin with, especially giant ones. They carried the grapes with each other. The Bible says it was a land flowing of milk and honey. Everything that they needed was there. But they were giants. But they were trained warriors. But their defenses were huge. Their walls were ginormous. Their warriors were stronger and bigger than those of the Israelites. So the twelve come back Ten of them are like, Moses, we can't do it. We should just go back to Egypt. There's no point in us being here. Why did God set us free? But then Joshua and Caleb stood up. And they were disgusted at the faith that the other ten showed. And they said, if God brought us out of Egypt, he's faithful to bring us into the promised land. For those of you you're finding yourself in the wilderness this morning, and you're making it hard to believe that God's going to take you to the promised land. You're finding it hard to believe that the promise that God bringing your prodigal home is going to come true. You're finding it hard to believe that the promise that God gave you that your children won't struggle with what you struggled with, you're finding it hard for that promise to come true. You might have come out of that struggle, you might have come out of that addiction, but you are finding it hard hard to believe that God will see his promise to completion remind yourself about what God did in you remind yourself about what God did in this word because the same God we read about in the word is the same God that's alive and active today it's no difference we serve the same God the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob the God of Nick the God of Cole, the God of Scott, the God of Ryan, the same God that is bringing freedom and breakthrough to you is the same God that's moving around in the people around you, the same God that's moving in the lives of your children, the same God that's bringing breakthrough and freedom to those that you work with, to those that you cross around, that you walk around on the streets, that you drive past, that's the same God. Remind yourself of what he has done. It was the faith of Joshua and Caleb that brought the Israelites into the promised land. What's happening in the present doesn't change or negate what God has done in the past. Just because life is hard now doesn't mean God still isn't good. There are going to be times when life is awful. I wish I could tell you there aren't going to be times like that. But Jesus said, in this this world, you will encounter troubles of many kind. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And the same God that overcame the world is a God that's living and active inside of you. I want to challenge you guys when things happen that break your heart, when things happen that tear you down to the point where you're finding it hard to believe that God cares. Because I've been there. You're finding it hard to believe that God really does see you. You're finding it hard to believe that God really is good. I want to encourage you. It doesn't make you a bad Christian, but remind yourself of what God has done. Remind yourself of somebody else's breakthrough because that's what's going to build our faith. That's why in the very beginning I told you guys the testimonies of what happened at camp because that's not just camp testimonies, but that can be River City Church testimonies. That can be Mason City testimonies. That can be North Iowa testimonies if we put our faith there. Remind yourself of what God has done and it will strengthen your faith when your peace is shaken. Number two, surround yourself around faith-filled people. If you surround yourself around faith-drained people, you're never gonna be able to strengthen your faith. If you're around faith-drained people when your faith meter is low, good luck picking yourself back up. But if you make it a point now to surround yourself around faith-filled people, when your meter is low, they help bring it back up, even if your peace is shaken. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I think it was intentional that it wasn't just, say, Daniel thrown into the fiery furnace. It was intentional that God Had done that had allowed that to happen to those three people why because it shows us when we surround ourselves with faith filled people even in the middle of the fire there's hope even in the middle of the fire god is still there but if we sur- if we're riding solo and we're saying god i can i can take it on my own give it all to me god eventually we're going to get so beat up that there is no hope for us we're going to be we're going to feel like we're so far removed that we might as well just walk away from god cuz he's never going to change things but if you surround yourself around some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's who remind you that God is in the middle of the fire, who remind you that God is in the middle of the heartbreak, who remind you that God is in the middle of the anxiety, then we're going to see ourselves through it. But if we're around people who drain our faith, who suck all of our faith out, how are we going to fill our meter back up? Don't wait until your faith meter is on empty to surround yourself around faith-filled people. Some of you came in this morning and your faith meter is full. Glory to God. Some of you came in and you're like three-quarters of a tank. Some of you came in and you're sitting where I normally sit with my car, like one-eighth of a tank. Don't wait till you're that low to surround yourself around faith-filled people. If you're full right now, surround yourself around faith-filled people. You're at half a tank, surround yourself around faith-filled people. Make it a habit now so that when you are low, you already have those people around you. Don't walk, run from faith-drained people. Mark chapter 5, verse 35 through 42. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and would have let anyone go in with him except him, with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, this is the story of Jairus and his daughter, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed. Can you imagine laughing at Jesus? (laughs) Laughing at the Son of God, laughing at the one who sits to the right hand of the Father. You're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? But we do that. We do that. We've been the one, the laughers in the room. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kovum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up, and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. God revealed something about this story to me, and I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but what I, what I feel like God showed me in this story about three months ago is that I actually don't think the mother and the father had the faith to believe for the miracle. But Jesus knew they needed to be surrounded by people who did have the faith for the miracle. And because they were surrounded by Jesus, they were surrounded by Peter, James, and John, who had the faith to believe for the miracle. They were able to see the miracle. And imagine the faith meter of the parents when they see their little girl get up and start walking around. They were immediately amazed. Why? Because their faith meter was here, but then they saw God do this. They were amazed. If they was already over here, they would have been like, okay, cool, God, we already believed you for it but they had a hard time believing God for it. Why? Their girl died. Imagine how you would have feel as a parent. How difficult it would be for you to have that faith. But when we surround ourselves around people who do have the faith, that's what starts to make the miracle. We just did a series in Kids Church, and it was called Full of Faith. And in Kids Church, we always have a big idea. It's like a simple statement that that encompasses what we were talking about. And one of those big ideas was, my faith makes miracles. My f- Everybody say that. My faith makes miracles. Your faith helps other people get their miracle. When our peace is shaken, when our faith meter is low, it's important who we're surrounded around allow Jesus to remove those faith-trained people from your life. It doesn't mean that you have to excommunicate them. I'm not asking you not to talk to them. Why? Because we still want to be the love of Jesus to people. But they don't need to have a say in your heart. You don't need to you can be friends, you can be loving to somebody without allowing them to speak into your heart. Protect your heart. Why? Because this is where your peace stays. Protect your mind. Why? Because this is where your peace stays. Surround yourself around faith-filled people. Number three, give Jesus time to remind you of who he is. And this can go hand in hand with the first point, but I think it's a little bit different because when things happen that shake our peace, we lose sight of the characteristics of Jesus. We lose sight of who God really is. We lose sight of what he's done, But we also find it hard to see the identity of God. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my finger into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing around them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas was in a position where so many of us have been before. Jesus was one of his closest friends. And then he died and his heart was broken. All of us in this room have encountered heartbreak before. And a lot of times, Thomas is actually labeled as doubting Thomas. That's how I learned Thomas growing up in kids' church. And it, until, uh, until recently, it made me hard to want to relate to Thomas. But can I tell you, I'm a Thomas. I've doubted God, and I've been proved wrong. What I believe the beautiful thing about Thomas's realness and his openness with God is it created an opportunity for Jesus to show up for Thomas in a way that he didn't for everybody else. It created a testimony for Thomas that he wouldn't have had if he didn't doubt. Now, should we doubt God? No. Will we doubt God? Yes. But if we're open and we're honest and if we're transparent with God about our doubt, it creates a space for him to remind us of who he is. Jesus was able to remind Thomas that he is the resurrection, that he is the sanctifier, that he is the redeemer because Thomas said, I won't believe it until I see it. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. But that doesn't mean that those who don't see aren't blessed either. What brings the blessing in your doubt is when you ask God to show up. That's the difference. Doubting doesn't become a sin until you stop asking God to show up. You have a hard time believing God is good? Ask Him to be good in your life. You have a hard time believing God for a promise that He gave you? Ask Him to show up in your life. Ask Him to reveal who He is. For those of you who are struggling to see God for who he is, I want to remind you that he is Jehovah Jireh. He's God, your provider. He is Kanah. He's jealous for you. He's El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jehovah Shalom, God, my peace. Jehovah Ra, God, my shepherd. Jehovah Nisi, God, my banner, God, my victory. Jehovah Shama, God is there. Jehovah Rapha, he's God, my healer. Who do you need God to be? Why has your peace been shaken? Remind yourself of what God has done. Surround yourself around faith-filled people and make space for God to remind you of who he is. Our story that we read in 2 Kings as we come to a close, Elisha got angry at the king of Israel for only striking the ground three times. Now, the three times he struck the ground made a big difference for Israel. But he could have made a bigger difference. What are you striking the ground for this morning? What are you believing God for this morning? What have you stopped having faith for? Because your peace was stolen from you. Why have you only struck the ground three times? Why did you stop praying? Why did you stop fasting? Why did you stop making your request to the God who answers it? Infinitely above you we could ever ask or imagine. What made you stop? Maybe you felt like you got enough victory. Maybe you felt like you saw enough breakthrough. Or maybe you've been praying and asking God for so long and he hasn't answered it and you lost all hope that he ever would. Why did you stop striking the ground. What I believe this morning, and we're not, we're not going to have our prayer team come up because I believe this is something God wants to do in your hearts. And prayer team can come up behind and support and pray, but I believe that there's promises that are coming to your mind right now that you've stopped asking God for. Whether it's a name of a son or a daughter, a name of a brother, a name of a friend or a family member, who, you, who is lost, and God promises that every prodigal will come home, but you're finding it hard to believe that God can bring that prodigal home. Maybe you're struggling with something on the inside of your heart, and you've been asking God for so long, God, please take this burden away. God, please help me to feel peace here but you've been praying for so long and it just keeps coming back time after time after time and you gave up striking the ground because you felt like God wasn't listening. He's listening this morning. He's always been listening. And so what we're gonna provide, is provide a space here this morning to do is for you to come up and strike the ground and to not give up. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.